On this week's episode of Read, Watch, or DNF, we are airdropped into the full-on chaos of guerrilla warfare in the personal accounts of the 7th Air Cav Troopers in We Were Soldiers, Once and Young, written by Lieutenant General Hal Moore and Joe Galloway. In its 2002 film adaptation, We Were Soldiers, directed by the infamous Mel Gibson. And we asked the question, are we just going to ignore that this whole shit show was the fault of one Motard butter bar? Hmm. Hmm. Freaking butter bars, mm. man. Also, uh, Sam Elliott. That is all. Yep. <laughs> Content warning, uh, war. We're talking about war again. That is this month. There's violent, violent, brutal war. Welcome back, everyone. Mel B and Jackie D here with another book to screen adaptation. We are halfway through our U.S. military month of July, and we're diving into the Vietnam War, which many may argue should have never been an American war. But, you know, here we are. It is definitely a touchy subject in American history and affected many lives, so we are going to do our best to navigate this story delicately. If this is your first time joining us, be warned that this is a bit different from our normal drunken foolery. So if you want to try something lighter, we suggest you check out one of our earlier episodes and then come back to this one. For all of our returning listeners, we love you. And if you haven't already, please take a moment to like, follow, share, maybe give us five stars if you think we deserve it. Also, don't forget about our social medias, TikTok, Instagram, the Twitters, at, you know, ReadWatchDNF podcast. And we are dedicating our F-bombs this week to all of the sort of mistreated, forgotten, neglected veterans. Uh, nasty side effect of wars that are not popular is that the people that fight those wars, even though if they wanted to or not, you know, they get sucked into that um, disdain, maybe Mm -hmm. is a good word for it. And then they're also lumped in and treated, you know, as such, which the way our Vietnam vets were treated when they got home was really not great. All right, man, we're like not even three minutes into this and we are deep, 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 deep. Super deep. But let's let's bring it up a little bit, Jackie. Let's talk about what we're drinking. Okay. I am drinking Dragon's Milk. Uh, it is out of the <laughs> New Holland Brewing Company in Michigan. It is a bourbon barrel-aged stout. And on the label, it says, Throughout the ages, Dragon's Milk has been a term used to describe potent ales and elixirs worthy of celebration, a reward at the end of the journey. I'm not saying these guys were celebrating, but they definitely had a journey prior to this. So this might have been an appropriate Mm. mind eraser for them, at least for a little bit. And they definitely needed a drink at the end of it. Yes. Yes. So it feels like Dragon's Milk would have been the appropriate choice. Yes. I am taking it a, a bit on the lighter side. And by a bit, I mean the complete opposite. I am drinking a cider, a hard cider. It is the 1911... Uh, Beak and Skiff something something. This is my first time trying them. Looked it up and I saw that they had a tropical cider which has got the mangoes and all that stuff which is prevalent in Vietnam. Mm-hmm. And it also reminded me of Tropic Thunder. Okay. That that movie was a different direction. Yeah. Different direction. So yeah. I'm trying to keep this a little bit light. You know not disrespectively so but lightening, lightening it up. 
uh, with some mango and all the other tropical fruits in a hard cider, you know? Okay. Remember, this month is, is a bit dark and deep, and we're trying to be respectful. Also, there's just not a lot of drinking games out there, because people are not getting turned to war movies. There's just I guess it's not a thing. So there's not a lot out there. Usually Jackie finds us a pretty good one. So we're going to give you, again, just maybe our own. We're, we're not saying go and get turned to this movie. I really don't think it's appropriate. But, you know, if you feel like you must, we have a few that'll help you out. Every time an enemy soldier pops out of a bush, take a drink. And then also, whenever Mel Gibson looks all crazy-eyed during a scene, it's usually because he's trying to think hard about something under, mm-hmm. you know, under fire and under pressure. Yeah. Uh, go ahead and take take a shot. There you go. Anytime an enemy soldier pops out of a bush or Mel Gibson's looking all crazy eyed, go ahead. Drink it up. Get turned. <laughs> okay, well, let's talk about this story then that um, some of you may want to get turned to. Jackie read first, so why don't you go ahead and give us an overview of this book. Okay, I read Kindle, obviously. It was the 2012 edition published by Open Road Integrated Media Incorporated. I don't know who they're a sub-company of or who owns them, but it's probably Random House if Random House owns the rights to the book. Um, So the overview of the book, uh, Vietnam, November 1965. 450 men of the 1st Battalion, 7th Cavalry, under the command of Lieutenant Colonel Hal Moore, are dropped by helicopter into a small clearing in the Ia Drang Valley and immediately surrounded by 2,000 North Vietnamese soldiers. Three days later, only two and a half miles away, a sister battalion is chopped to pieces. Together, these actions at the landing zones X-Ray and Albany constitute one of the most savage and significant battles of the Vietnam War and set the tone of the conflict to come. Uh, The Wall Street Journal said between experiencing combat and reading about it lies a vast chasm. This book makes you almost smell it. And it did spend 17 weeks on the New York Times bestseller list. That's pretty good. Hmm? So I watched first. I watched it on, I think it... Okay, I did this thing where I just told Alexa to put it on to see what would happen, and then it started playing. I think it's through Amazon Video with an Epics subscription. Yes. Does that sound about right? Yeah, because you and I watched it together then, yeah. Yeah, because I think at some point um, we got an Epics subscription. I don't remember. I'm probably going to forget about it again, so we're going to keep having one. Yeah, and then they're going to be like, what are these $7.99 charges on my Amazon card? Yeah, and I still will be like, oh, I'll get to that later. And then six months later, I still have that fix. All right, so the movie, this is a synopsis I got off of IMDb. And it says, the story of the first major battle of the American phase of the Vietnam War and the soldiers on both sides that fought it while their wives wait nervously and anxiously at home for the good news or the bad news. This movie was released on 1 March 2002. Its estimated budget was about 75 million. Worldwide gross was about a little over 115 million. So you might be thinking like, wow, that's not a lot. Mm-hmm. And it isn't. But I, I think what we have here again is you have a movie that calls for a very specific audience. Mm-hmm. And also like last week's, we have a director who I would consider kind of polarizing. So last week you had Angelina Jolie. You either hate mm-hmm. her or you love her. Um, some might even just think that 
She has no right directing. I thought she did a good job. This week, we have Mel Gibson, who starred in it and directed it. He is a very polarizing character, and by mean character, because he is an interesting character. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think you, you have a mix of, this is a, a Vietnam War movie. A lot of people have very, very strong feelings either way about the Vietnam War. Then you have, on top of that, people have strong feelings about war movies. You have people that just aren't interested in it. And then you have a director on top of that where you either hate him or love him. So I think that's what we're seeing here. But when we went into the reviews that we're going to get into in a second, uh, you know, a lot of people have seen this movie. They just didn't go opening weekend. Mm-hmm. So why don't we go ahead and get into the reviews. Jackie read first. She's going to give us our our book reviews. Users. Okay. Uh, So on Goodreads, it got an average of 4.32 out of 5. That is from like 28,000, like 28,500 ratings. Only 770 people actually took the time to review it. It, to the point where when I got to the one-star reviews, I scrolled down to the end of the page and I hit next. And then the next page, all it was was a bunch of thumbnails of Goodreads users and just the star rating that they gave it. There was no text. Yeah. So people who hated this book didn't really feel the need to say a whole lot about it. And that showed also in the length of the reviews that I found. But the first one, it's a five out of five. One of my new favorites. Sure, a lot of us have seen the movie, and most who read know that movies never fully quite get it uh, right like the book that preceded it. In this case, the same holds absolutely true, and I love the movie. I just feel in this case that this book is just so well written, so clear in detail, so absolutely mesmerizing, horrifying, and is a gluttony of the truest essence of war. To appreciate military history and not read this book is to say you're family ma- you're a family man, but never go home. It would be un- incongruous. I had trouble with that word. <laughs> what these men did over there in the Vietnam War is the first major engagement between the U.S. Army's 1st Cavalry Division and the North Vietnamese Army and Viet Cong was and is exceptional, down to the very last man on the battlefield, who happened to be Colonel Moore. Yep. An event in history, a story in time to be told and shared with every American. You want to call yourself a patriot, you cannot until you've read this book. Okay. So that was my first one. Then I found another one who was all praise, praise, praise for the book. And they gave it five stars. But their last paragraph said, My one quibble is that the author, having been there in person, makes it a point to name everyone involved, and it's tough to keep track of all the people by name as they are re-referenced many times. I mean, that's accurate. I found it difficult at the beginning because he kept mentioning these names, and sometimes it was just a last name if somebody else was talking about them, and then Mm -hmm. sometimes it was the full name and rank and and things like that, and it was kind of difficult. Okay, like, where is he? Like, where did he go? I don't understand it. Yeah, I, I started after a point just trying to keep an eye out for, like, what company they were in. Mm hmm And then just like, okay, somebody, officer or enlisted, did something in this company, got it. Mm -hmm. And I, that's, I I couldn't keep track of them anymore. Well, what also, yeah, and what also threw me off was when they were talking about the lost platoon. At the beginning, they kept referring to it by the platoon of this company. And then they just kept saying lost platoon, but then they reverted back to the company. And I'm like, yeah, because I think Joe Galloway is the one that uh, penned it as the lost company when he did his... 
his initial story at the end. Yeah. yeah, so I think when he starts in, because also I was getting confused on who was narrating, because both of them narrated mm-hmm. without quotation marks, because they're, yeah. they're the ones that are talking first person. Yeah. So you have to be mindful of if it's General Moore or Colonel Moore at the time or Joe Galloway. Mm-hmm. So sometimes I'd be like, that's a strange thing to say. And I'd realize, oh, it's one or the other. Yeah, yeah. it's it's very, very detailed. I agree with yeah. that. Okay, the next one that I found is a three out of five. It says, interesting, inspiring, depressing, and also super long and boring. It really jammed up all my book reading progress for a while because I couldn't bring myself to turn this one on, but didn't want to start something new until it was done. But I do feel like I have a new perspective on the Vietnam War and much, much more respect for soldiers. They make me feel like a big, selfish coward. That's a very uh, self-reflective review yeah and and a lot of the reviews that i saw especially the lower rated ones they were talking about how it reels like it reads like a debriefing not like a book yeah i would definitely agree with that it's a very different style from last week yes extremely different and then the final one that i found is a one out of five and it says i like war history but this was a real snoozer i can't really put my finger on the problem but the book lacked action even the action parts did nothing for me what is this person expecting explosions every five seconds i mean they're they were the way they wrote the book the way they're talking about the fire how it was deafening how constant it was Mm -hmm. and how loud it was how how is that not not ac- action? No, I think I, he means suspense. Okay, like it wasn't suspenseful because there wasn't any time for suspense. It literally they landed and it's go 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 go. Yeah. Um. But also, I mean, he just he was looking for something, or he or she, or whatever, was looking for something else while they were reading. Maybe more of in a narrative type, like last week where. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of fact, but she's painting a picture, telling a story um, as, as like if you were to read fiction, you're getting yeah. that, but it, it's all true. This is very much you're getting it from the eyes that were on the ground. So to them, I don't think you're going to get that fantasy, fantasy yeah. version of and it, it and right? it's Yeah, and it's a lot more difficult to get a focused story when you're dealing with an entire battalion. I mean, for anybody who has ever stood in a battalion formation before the commander calls it to attention or the sergeant major, you know that there's all kinds of talking. It is just a confusion of Mm -hmm. noise. So there's no way. Yeah. So that's that's what I have for reviews. Yeah. Generally, a really well liked book. Uh, I think the 51 percent of the uh, the ratings were five out of five. So over half. And then it just breaks down from there, goes down from there. But I also think the majority of people that are going to pick up this book and read it Mm -hmm. are already invested, right? Like, they already have an interest in this. Oh, yeah. Um, I think if we weren't doing this podcast, I probably would not have picked up this book. Oh, yeah. This This would be like my mom picking up a book about the Civil War or the Gilded Age. Those are her two things that she likes to read about. My mom does not like fiction at all. But yeah. she is all about the Civil War, and of, of course she has a wealth of knowledge crammed into her head about where everybody was when. So she yeah. would probably have a very, very easy time following something like this if it was for one of those periods. Yeah, 
Because, I mean, if that's what if that's what your jam is, that's your jam. Yeah. Like, we'll read, you know, epic fantasies where there's a thousand different characters and we, we know exactly who's doing what at what time with oh, yeah. whoever, you know? Yeah. But I would think we'll, this one to me was a little confusing. <laughs> and then we'll give it to our daughters and they'll read it. And by daughters, I mean, we'll give it to Annabelle and she'll read <laughs> it and then, and then talk to you about it incessantly. And you know exactly what she's talking about because you can keep yeah, it all straight. Yeah. yeah. And you know, so I think a lot of people that probably were given yeah. this one star or maybe didn't. I think a lot of the one stars that you saw that didn't have a review are probably people that just didn't finish it. Oh, even the ones that I did see reviews for, they like. I think at mm-hmm. least two or three of the ones that I saw did not finish it. They put it down. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe it's a book club or they thought it was something else or they, yeah. they know the movies so or like, oh, I should read this. Mm-hmm. It, and it, it just wasn't what they were expecting. Yeah. It so, does not read like the movie. Mm-mm. Okay. All right. Movie. IMDb. We have about 140, almost 141,000 user ratings, which gave it a 7.1 out of 10, which is actually pretty, that's a pretty good mm-hmm. rating on IMDb. Uh, 7 out of 10 was actually the highest percentage at 29.7. So that was the majority of the ratings were 7 out of 10. I have found a bunch that I want to go through. I'll go through them pretty quickly, um, but I have some thoughts on all of them. First one, 10 out of 10, the greatest war movie ever made. It says, I've seen every war movie and I thought Platoon, Born on the Fourth of July, and Black Hawk Down were the best war movies ever made. Now I have to include We Were Soldiers with those movies. This movie was so powerful that it was the first movie to bring tears in my eyes. Okay. It was mm-hmm. so emotional that I went out and bought the DVD. This review, actually, I think they saw it in the theater. It was mm-hmm. like 2002. Um, it has the most graphic war scenes and actions. Uh, it probably, I think they meant more. It has more mm-hmm. graphic war scenes and actions than Black Hawk Down and Saving Private Ryan combined. Okay, so I, I don't know if I agree with that, but it, it's up there. <laughs> Saving Private Ryan has like a full-on, its opening sequence is just people being blown to bits. So. Yeah. <laughs> like, but I get what he's trying to say. Mm-hmm. He goes, you've got to see this movie. Please watch this movie. Another 10 out of 10. It says, reference movie. Indeed, an excellent movie. I just want to say that I've registered with IMDb.com to vote for it. And this, I think, does tell you everything. They set up an account just so they could talk about this movie. Okay. This is the part that's interesting. I'm not an American and not shall I be. I think they meant nor. And nor yeah. shall I be. Or a very big fan of your peoples. But for the sacrifice of any person, a film isn't just enough. And this picture and Wind Talkers, the other one, are indeed something great. So they're like, I love this movie in spite of the fact that I hate everything about you fucking people. <laughs> I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> okay, five out, of five, uh, five out of ten, I should say. This one, slow. Just one word, slow. As usual, the music takes over the movie. Too noisy, everywhere, annoying, and so forth. I hope in the future one DVD option would be to be able to shut the soundtrack score during the movie or at least to lower the volume of it. Platoon, Full Metal Jacket, Apocalypse Now. Should I add some more? So, I... Are they saying that those movies did it right? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Um, Maybe because there's not a lot of music in them. I, I, I don't know. know. But I will have to say I do agree with this, but it has nothing to do with the movie or the story. It is the fact, like, Jackie and I were watching it, and I'd have to turn it up, then turn it down. Turn it up, mm-hmm. and then turn it down. Because 
it, it is. I agree with that. I'm like, why can't they get the fucking sound right? It's yeah. so annoying. Um, but I don't grief the movie for that. I grief like the production of it, maybe like the mm-hmm. sound editing or the aftermarket when they re-release it. But anyway, yeah. this is another five out of ten. It says the horror of war, the boredom of peace. Pretty good war flick, but the producers could have lost the full, the first dull 45 minutes. They always have to show the huggy, body, kissy face, family crap before the bloodletting. To me, Platoon was a more realistic Vietnam film, but I must say the carnage was more graphic and we were soldiers. Elliot was tough and amusing as the grizzled top kick. I think they, they mean Sam Elliott as the art major. Yeah. But Gibson, Mel Gibson that is, came off as a tad wimpy for a gung-ho combat officer. I don't ever think he was trying, that he considers him a gung-ho, he talks to himself as being a family man. Like, that is yeah. his thing. Yeah, and but guess anyway. what? Those soldiers that go to war, they have families. Yeah. They have families. That's like the whole point of this, yeah. is they're trying to, it's not talking about... This is talking about the humans involved in this. Yeah, especially That's with the, the notifications at the end. Jesus. Yeah. Like, yes. Yes. This is where, when you're talking about like um, uh, a movie like Platoon or Full Metal Jacket or Apocalypse Out, those stories are touching on different components or factors of the war. Mm-hmm. If you're talking about Full Metal Jacket, you're talking about like mental illness, right? Mm-hmm. Full on mental illness. This person was not ready could not deal with the military and then a lot of them were breaking under the pressures of going to war apocalypse now was like a full-on fucking acid trip of just how confusing and bewildered everyone was platoon was going after a different feel this one we were soldiers is talking about these are the people all of the people including the soldiers and including their families that are involved and affected by really, it's just a matter of three days is what yeah. this boils down to. Obviously, yeah. there's a lot of other training and travel and everything, but really three days just rocked all these people in their family's world. Yeah. That's what this movie is trying to do. <laughs> Plus, when these guys were drafted, they didn't show up to the draft office, get handed a uniform, put on a plane, and sent straight to Vietnam. There is training yeah, involved. There's a lot of other stuff. Because yeah. if that training didn't happen, this would have been a lot fucking worse. Oh, and we're actually going to talk about that because there is a component of how them losing a lot of their very, very trained individuals affected them. Oh, good yeah. point. Okay, anyway, so he calls him a tad wimpy for a gung-ho combat officer. Sure. His tears just after the big battle were a trifle trumped up looking. I don't like to really just blast apart people's opinions, but I just want to know, like, who hurt you? Mm-hmm. Who hurt you? <laughs> the one that wrote this for you. Because... Mel Gibson crying at the end, I'll, I'll admit, I, I thought they looked very genuine. And mm-hmm. I thought that probably reflected exactly how that man, meaning Colonel Howe, Colonel Moore, I should say, felt mm-hmm. when everything was said and done. Mm-hmm. So, anyway. Uh, I liked the unbloodied Air Corps guy as they jumped over the parapets yelling Air Corps, only to be blown away. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> amazing what you can get people to do in the name of democracy and the flag so now he's critiquing it, not the movie the war just generally yeah. yeah this was a real gore fest but let's face it it's been done and done to death so first he's talking about how he liked the carnage and the graphic or that it was better in this movie but now he's like nah, it's a gore fest yeah okay it says one never sees the spraying multi-jets of blood coming out of a human's back on the history channel 
Probably because in the History Channel, they're dealing with, like, a budget of maybe five grand. Like, I don't know. Yeah, and they would have to... The only way they could show that is if they're actually doing reenactments. Because they don't have live footage of a lot of this stuff. No, but whatever. (laughs) Five out of five. Or five out of ten, I should say. Then I have these two one out of ten. First one. Pure crap. This is just another... I rule, I can walk among the bullets and survive because I'm an American war hero. Crap war movie. Well, not just another, it's one of the worst movies I've seen in years. Totally unrealistic and cliche filled patriotic crap. After this, or after seeing this, I should say, I think I won't watch anything with Gibson in it again. Avoid. So now I'm like, does he hate Mel Gibson? Does he hate war movies? Does he hate America? Like, I'm not clear on what, or she, it could be she, on what this reviewer is actually critiquing. So I picked these out because this is why I say when we're looking at like lower reviews, it's like, or like it didn't do well in the box office is because you have these type of people. This, this reads definitely like somebody who did not know that this was actually based on real events. Yeah. They think it's something made up. Yeah. But then that, like, I can walk among the bullets and survive. It's like, do you understand how many people died? And they show it. Mm-hmm. They, they show it. And also, like, I, I wouldn't... You know what? Everyone's entitled to their opinion. Yeah. But there's a lot of people that died, and they showed it in the movie, and nobody was just walking among the bullets. Mm-hmm. You have... Actually, there's a lot of scenarios or scenes where they people are just getting shot at random. Like, the fact that they were so confused at where these bullets were coming from. So nobody yeah. was, I can walk among the bullets and survive during this movie. The people you saw surviving were the ones that were hunkered down behind a huge termite hill. Yeah. And even then those people also died. So <laughs> whatever. <sighs> Last one is a one out of 10. And this one actually made me super angry. It says a ripoff for war veterans. When describing his hopes for the film, full metal jacket based on his war novel, the short timers Author and Vietnam War veteran Gustav Hasford said, I didn't want to make another film that veterans are just going to go see and go, oh, wow, we've been ripped off again. That description fits We Were Soldiers to a T. So just so everyone's clear, Gustav Hasford did not say this about We Were Soldiers. Mm -hmm. This guy is using this author and veteran's comment as ammo against this movie, which the two are not related he's using it so it says the film has no flexibility or even a purpose to it one long cliche full of time killing action and glory speeches mel gibson's cheesy accent will make you chuckle though this film takes an utterly true story and cliches the life out of it a script compiled of every worn out battle trick ever we were soldiers almost unintentionally brings disrespect to war veterans you can definitely afford to miss this screen garbage So some actual veterans of this battle were alive when this movie and this book were released. Yeah. And they were part of the production of this movie. (laughs) Yeah. General Hal Moore was on set the whole time. And we both read the book and watched the movie and pretty similar. Yeah. It's almost, there's a lot of stuff that is verbatim. So these glory speeches that he's talking about were in the book. This is what the men themselves said that they said. So, unless you are calling them a liar, (laughs) but maybe you are, in that case, then you're the one that's disrespecting them. And really, one of the biggest cliche things that I can think of is the little American flag that's in the tree stump. But that is Mm -hmm. 
actually true. That happened. Yeah. Somebody put this little flag. uh, Yeah. Iwo Jima. Jima. That was. Yeah. And they even make a reference to that. They were like, it was like our little Iwo Jima. So, I don't think you can call it cliche if it happened. Yeah. You can't. (laughs) Oh my God. This one, this one did make me angry. I actually wasn't even going to put it in for a minute because I don't want to be like polarizing or politicizing or anything in this podcast, but that one right there, do better. All right, let's talk about the characters then. And by characters, again, this is a um, sort of autobiographical and historically accurate nonfiction retelling of these accounts done by two men that were there. Well, actually, it's done. It's they have input from a lot of the survivors, but it's written by Lieutenant Gen- uh, General Her- Hal Moore or Harold G. Moore, retired Hal Moore, he goes by, and Joseph Galloway, who is the or who was the field journalist war journalist at the time he was there so these two men first-hand experience this is their retelling so they're not characters per se but they are the written embodiment of these men so we have lieutenant curl lieutenant curl lieutenant colonel moore at the time uh so he is from kentucky he is a west point grad all-around badass. And now, uh, well, he's, he is deceased now. I think 2017 he passed away. Mm-hmm. Um, but after he retired, he, like, owned a computer software company. <laughs> he's like, I'm Good a war him. veteran. I'm, yeah. <laughs> I won all these medals, but I'm going to, you know, software. I'm going to yeah. get where the money is. Uh, he is buried at Fort Benning Post Cemetery, so he is not at Arlington. But there are several from the story that are buried at Arlington. And actually, Jackie and I were just talking about this the other day. When we went to go see um, Audie Murphy's grave, from reading this book, we realized that there's a couple of the uh, veterans or men from this story that are buried nearby. Like, probably one plot over, I think. Mm-hmm. To where Audie Murphy was. So we were there. Um, Joseph Galley, like we said, he is the reporter. He lived in uh, North Virginia, near us. Did you know that? I did not know that before I before I read the uh, the outline. And he actually just passed mm-hmm. away almost yeah. a year ago. Yeah, August of last year. So, yep. yeah, sad. Uh, he was awarded a Bronze Star with yeah. Valor device. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I found that out. He is the only civilian to receive the Bronze Star for Combat Valor in the Vietnam War from the Army. And that is a yeah. harrowing scene in that movie. Like it was hard for me to watch, and it was it was difficult for me to read that part. I'm not gonna lie; I was actually hoping that that was just something they put into the movie for effect. Mm-mm. And but then when I started reading, I was like, "Oh no, it's true." Yeah. I don't know why I thought they would do that, but I was hoping for it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and we're gonna talk about that. Uh, then we have Sergeant Major Plumley and Major Crandall. There are tons and tons and tons of men, hundreds of them, that are part of this. Most of them named in this book. So they have a part. And there are a lot of them that have uh, bigger roles. It's just, there's just too many to list. So we have our top four being Lieutenant Colonel Moore at the time, who's now Lieutenant General, retired. Um, Joseph Galloway, who was the reporter. Ma- uh, Sergeant Major Plumley, who was basically uh, Lieutenant Moore's right-hand man top enlisted out there and then major crandall who was the uh, huey pilot who did amazing things and probably is one of the main reasons that it wasn't a complete utter massacre yeah. over there 
got a medal of honor for it. Yeah, that's a big thing. Big, mm-hmm. big deal. We talked about that when we um, did, uh, uh, when we talked about Adi Murphy's mm-hmm. awards and how important and just distinguished that a medal of honor is. The movie, it's all the same. I don't think there was a character that wasn't necessarily mentioned in the book. And by character, again, obviously a real human being. I'm trying to think. I, I believe almost every single one that we saw or had a speaking role was mentioned in the book to some degree. Yeah, and they did. And they definitely, for the sake of time, because otherwise this probably would have been a two or three day movie um, if they yeah. had included every last detail. But they tried to pare down to the major players. One of the ones that we didn't mention was Sergeant Savage, who, mm-hmm. because of the actions of his... Um, how do I put this politely? Um, super enthusiastic. Yeah, super enthusiastic Butterbar. Uh, mm. He ended up in control of an entire platoon. And for those yeah. of you who are not aware, he was a an E5 buck sergeant. So he's a brand new NCO. Yeah. In charge of a whole platoon of people. Mm-hmm. And at that time, I think there was, what was it? 70 something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And a lot yeah. of people. It's, it, it's, it boggles the mind. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we'll talk about uh, Lieutenant Herrick, I believe his name is, uh, yeah. which we call the Motard. And I'm not trying to be disrespectful at all. This man gave his life for his country, but I'm just going to keep it real. His actions, <sighs> I guess he'd warnings and we have lessons learned from it. Um, not to say he did anything maliciously at all. Not not in the least. It's just he made some really, really dumb decisions that put a lot of other men whose job is to trust and follow him in danger. And it also, because of that, which we're going to talk about, sort of steamrolled mm-hmm. the rest of the events that happened over these couple of days. Yeah, because um, they were so focused on getting to them, yeah. Yeah, because... Mm-hmm. Like a motard. But anyway, let's talk about casting. So Lieutenant Colonel Hal Moore is played by Mel Gibson, which th- he loves to do that with these movies. He directs it, puts himself... Patriot. But I, yeah, <laughs> Patriot, yeah. I am um, a brave heart. Mm-hmm. He loves it. I love Brave I actually Hunting. don't have an issue with it. I know people hate him, and probably for good reason, but that's Mel Gibson the man. Yeah, uh, those those are, yeah, fine. Those are people who can't separate the the personal from the professional. Mm-hmm. I I have an issue when you start bringing it onto that medium that you decide to perform in. Yeah, keep whether separate. it's on a stage or be, in a movie or whatever. Be like Dolly Parton and move on with your life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Julie Moore, who is. Um, Lieutenant Colonel Moore's wife is played by Madeline Stowe. I, she has one of those faces where I feel like I've seen her before because it's a very distinct, you know, she doesn't, it doesn't look like that common actor's face. She looks like you would recognize her, but I really don't recognize her from anything else. I, I would have to like, look You should up. know her. Yeah. Yeah. I, she's, uh, but I liked her in it. I thought she did a really good job. In regards to, I don't know how to say, I don't know how to say this. So I think a lot of people, there's this bad stigma about military wives or military spouse, mostly wives. You know, there's that dependipotamus meme that's always out there. 
Oh, jeez. Um, but, she, yeah. She, to me, portrayed what I believe Halmore's wife to be, where she knows what's happening, because she's actually the daughter uh, daughter of a... That was my New York coming out. Daughter. The daughter that's coming out. <laughs> daughter. She's the daughter. Um, she is the daughter of a colonel in the army. So, like, she grew up as a military brat. She married Halmore... So it's like she understands how this is, right? And she's she's doing her part to, I guess, lighten the burden, right? But she's still affected by it. Mm-hmm. And I like the way that Madeline Stowe portrayed this, where she she puts on a brave face, um, but in the you know the shadows per se or behind closed doors, she's really is a wreck. And I, I like the way that Madeline did that. I think mm-hmm. it's true. It feels it feels true. Okay, then we have Major Bruce Car- Crandall. That is the Huey pilot. Um, that is played by C- Greg. K- is it Kinnear or Kinner? Kinnear. Kinnear. Oh, yeah. I always say his name wrong, but he's like in everything. Yeah, and he he's started out in comedy. It's crazy. The range that yeah. guy has is unbelievable. I love him. That's I like, used to have such a um, big crush on him. He reminds me of the actor that does like a lot of the Disney animal sounds. You know, he was like the rooster in Moana. But he's huge. Oh, but he does everything. Oh yeah. Oh, I know exactly who you're talking about, but yeah. I can I cannot the, think of his name. Yeah. Greg oh. he reminds me of that guy where it's just they also kinda look similar to uh the range. Comedy, drama, just so good. Mm-hmm. Amazing. I think he was casted beautifully there. Then we have Sergeant Major uh, Basil or Basil Plumley. He's a Sergeant Major, so it's just Sergeant Major. Yeah, it doesn't matter. You never That's say his, his first, first name. name. He actually doesn't have a first name. No, uh, but he's played by Sam Elliott. I I want to say that this is probably the best casting ever. Yeah, I know no, nothing about the personal effects of Sergeant Major Plumley, the real man, but when I hear Sergeant Major, the way that Sam Elliott played it. That's that is a sergeant major right there. Yeah, especially yeah. in the infantry. Mm-hmm. They don't give a fuck at all. Beautiful morning, so, sergeant major. You walk. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Goddamn morning it is. <laughs> really, all the sergeant major. When you get to that level in the military, especially the army, the only thing you care about is just people not walking on your fucking grass. Yeah. That's or it. rocks if you're deployed. Nothing or rocks or rocks. Nothing yeah. gives you joy anymore. There's no life to, to, of light anywhere. It's just. Get off the fucking lawn, you dirty, dirty... Friend. And I've seen yeah. Sergeant Major's lockup officers, so they, they can't give a fuck. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And if something does happen to the grass, then they want to see how many privates they can round up to go to some, like, yeah. lawn care place to get the shit to fix the ruined grass. Yeah, and it's... I'm ta- you're talking, like, maybe just, like, a one-inch patch. You're like, ah! Yeah. <laughs> so Sam Elliott, superb. And when I say best casting, I mean, of all the episodes we've done, we talk about casting, Sam Elliott as Sergeant Major Plumley, there will never be anything better than that. I just wish he so. had a mustache. I actually didn't mind him without it. He this is the only time, because when in, when he was on Justified, he did not have a, uh, have a mustache, and the entire time he was on screen, all I was thinking, Snapping Turtle. Snapping Turtle. Yeah, he does That's have... It. That, like, that little lip thing. Um, <sighs> but yeah, this is the only one where I'm like, nah, nah, it works without it. But any other time, yeah, I'm with you. 
You know, my mom's best friend, Allison, loves Sam Elliott. Loves him. Loves him. Absolutely loves him. Yeah, he, I do. I, I don't even know how old he is, but he definitely gives off, like, some daddy issue vibes for me where I'm yeah. like. He was in Gettysburg, too. Yeah, he was. Yep. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Okay, then we have Second Lieutenant Jack. I, I don't, they've said his name how many times in the movie? I still don't know how to pronounce it. Uh, it's Gagan, either Gothigan or Gagan or I don't know. I think it's Gagan because I remember yeah. it being like only two syllables. But mm-hmm. he's played by Chris Klein. Um, Jackie, personally, she wasn't a fan. I don't think I was affected only because I really wasn't uh, channeling the, what was it, American Pie or whatever. Yeah. And honestly, I think that his casting in this was probably a reaction to American Pie. He was probably like, I need to get away from that. I need to do something serious. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, honestly, like, he, he was not bad. He played the role well, because he was supposed to be a brand new Fresh out of ROTC, mm-hmm. Lieutenant. And Baby buddy bar. He, yeah, he is. He's just absorbing all of the leadership stuff from from Colonel Moore. Yeah, and I think his uh, casting him like that, he does give up the vibe. Like, I'm just so sweet, likable guy. Yeah. So I, I think it, it was fine. It's fine. But if you are, like, a big American Pie fan watching it, maybe it sets you off a little bit. And his wife, uh, Barbara, is played by Carrie Russell. Felicity. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. That's all I think about when I see her. But that Mm. probably ages us pretty well, Jackie. Um, Mm. I liked her in it. You know, that new, you know, army officer wife. Yeah. Just had a baby. Like, this is a very simple character. I think she did a good job. Yep. Then Joe Galloway is played, but that's the reporter. Remember, he's played by uh, Barry Pepper. I love him. Mm-hmm. And he's done so many war movies where I hope, I don't know if he's typecasted like that, but he fits. He fits into that, even when he's not playing a, a soldier per se, but he's in a war movie because that's what yeah. he's a, a reporter here. He still fits to me. Yeah, he looks like he just crawled out of a, a out of a foxhole. That's that's what yeah, he looks like. Yeah, he does. Yeah. He really does. Yeah. yeah. I think my favorite, though, that he's done is Saving Private Ryan, mm-hmm. where he was the sniper. Mm-hmm. So there's when Stephen and I were watching this movie the first time, uh, and we're talking about him, like we just kept making like Saving Private Ryan jokes because every time he came up, like at one point Stephen's like, "Wait, didn't he, didn't he die?" I'm like, "What do you mean he died?" <laughs> and I look over, I'm like, "Different movie, different war, but yes." Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, then we talk about Sergeant Ernie Savage. This is a, a big character where in the book. He becomes a larger part because of the actions he does and, and the responsibility and roles he has to take on. In the movie, they kind of just, they know where it's going to go, so they throw him at you right away. But I was actually surprised when I started reading, I was like, oh, where's Sergeant Savage? Is he not a real guy? Did this not really happen? And then all of a sudden, it's like, oh, there he is. Yeah. So the movie makes him a, a bigger in the sense that they introduce him a lot earlier. Because I know they want you to get acquainted with him. And I kind of like how he's the one. Yeah, I like how he's the one that's interacting with the Sergeant Major at the beginning. He's like, good morning, Sergeant Major. Mm -hmm. And then uh, Sergeant Major Plumlee just throws some expletives at him and stuff like that. But then at the end, they revisit that whole. weatherman. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It was a really, really nice arc. And for uh, a story in Hollywood like that, they did it well. So I had no issues with it. Um, But he's played by Ryan Hurst. 
And he's another one where I've seen him in other stuff, but I would never remember his name. He just has, he has a memorable face. Um, there's some other ones here, big actors, but the one that I really just want to mention uh, is Captain Dylan. And that is because he is played by none other than the amazing, beautiful John Hamm. Air. And a young John Hamm. Yeah. I will take John Hamm at any age, but young John Hamm? Mm -hmm. Ugh. I'm sold. I'm sold. <laughs> mm. Okay. Let's get into this. We kind of alluded to this while we started talking uh, during the reviews, where it's clear that maybe these people hadn't read the book or didn't realize it was a real story. Uh, and that's because the, the movie and the book are very, very close. Mm -hmm. I think the parts that were changed, and then when I say changed, I mean slightly, slightly changed. And I, it's clear that they were done in a way to save time in terms of storytelling. And just to bring a little bit more um, emotion, not that you're not getting the emotion in the book, but when they introduce Sergeant Savage earlier, right? They the movie's saying, Hey, this is a big this is a big deal. Like, we want you to become emotionally attached to him right away. The wives, they're like, they had a big part in this, we want you to understand, get attached to them. Because in the book, the wives have like one chapter maybe at the end. So we're they're not introduced to like page four hundred or something. Mm -hmm. uh, but obviously in the movie they're right in the forefront because they, they did have a big part of this. Um and then I think the last thing that was majorly changed was the the way that the wives had to deal with the notifications of the deceased at the yeah. end. Uh, the movie introduced that word. They're giving this sort of timeline like, hey, stuff's happening here, but there's also stuff happening at home. And what's happening over here in, the, in Vietnam is affecting these people that are back stateside. So that's different from the book, but it's Hollywood's way of saying... We're trying to show you a story, right? That's the difference between literature or fiction, per se, and nonfiction, where it's like nonfiction is I'm going to tell you what happened, which is the book. And then the movie is that it's still nonfiction, but they're trying to bring that literature sense of fiction to it where, like, I'm going to show you what happened. You know, so we're getting a closer effect. So with that said... There is a section in the prologue that I thought was amazing and I want to read it. And it is this. So it's the prologue is Lieutenant General Hal Moore. He's talking. He's giving you a sense. But I think this sort of sums up how we got into the Vietnam War. Because everyone, at, like even my mom, she was here and, and sitting with us watching. She's like, wait, so like, why are we even there? And it's like, well, hold on, let's pause this for effect. Um, <laughs> let's give you a history lesson because it's not simple. But here it is. He goes, we were the children of the 1950s and John F. Kennedy's young stalwarts of the early 1960s. He told the world that Americans would pay any price, bear any burden, meet any hardship in the defense of freedom. We were the down payment on that costly contract. But the man who signed it was not there when he fulfilled his promise. John F. Kennedy waited on us, or waited for us, on a hill in Arlington National Cemetery. And in time, we came by the thousands to fill those slopes 
with our white marble markers and to ask on the murmur of the wind if that was truly the future he had envisioned for us. Hmm. I just think that's so powerful. I read that it and is. I was like, whoa. Because it sums it up because President Kennedy at the time, you know, fighting against communism, right? He had all these big promises and he's trying. I mean, let's let's just not beat around the bush. He wasn't really successful, but he tried. His intent was there. He was like, listen, we need to fight against this. Um, so those promises that he made filter down, and that's how we got into the Vietnam War. There's a lot of other contributory effects that happen there in the causality of the Vietnam War, but that's where it starts. And then for him to do this juxtaposition where saying, you know, when the time came to pay the bill, John F. Kennedy wasn't even there. He's mm-hmm. in Arlington Cemetery. For those, for those of you who are not aware, um, John F. Kennedy is buried at Arlington National Cemetery, where Jackie and I just were a couple weeks ago. Um, so he is there. He has a memorial. He's buried also with uh, some of his family. And the way he describes the juxtaposition where it's like, we then filled the slopes. Because Arlington National Cemetery is very hilly, and there's a, there's a lot of Vietnam graves there. Yep. A lot of very, very young. So powerful, powerful, powerful. Let's get into this plot. In the movie, we start off with this, um, we get a little bit of a history lesson. We see the French there that were in Vietnam during the, like, 1950s. They've been there, you know, colonizing and all that shit for a while. Uh, And the Vietnamese had had enough. They're like, we don't want this no more. At that time, a lot of the colonial powers had given up their colonies. And Vietnam was probably like, hey, hmm. When's our turn? But the <laughs> yeah, French... they're like, do you see what the yeah. English have done? Can you also do that? And the French yeah. are like, nah, man, we got plantations here. We got shit we're yeah. doing. And they were like, well, then you're going to die. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, not that that's funny. I'm sorry. Uh, but that is what we see in the beginning. And then we get the introduction to the characters, you know, uh, Colonel more coming to Fort Benning, Georgia, where they're going to start the first air cab training and put that unit together. You meet the wives, the families, you get a lot of that. You don't get that in the book. You get him just describing the timelines of like, oh, I got my orders and I was here. This is why I got chosen for it, blah, blah, blah. You get a little bit of that in the movie, but it's, again, yeah, in the movie, they're showing you, hey, we're, we're bringing all these characters together. This is how it's starting. In the book, though... After the prologue, we are we open with the uh, broken arrow scene. So we start off with shit has hit the fan. It's bad. A lot of people are dying over here. We need serious, serious help. And air, broken arrow. If you've seen the movie or if you understand what the term means, it is it means like all of the air support we can get. We need it right now. Yeah, because Americans so are being overrun. Open. Yeah, so that's probably the big difference there is book. We open with that. It's a showing you like shit. I think it's like just the way the book is, it, it grabs your attention, right? Yeah. Like, I think if we started off with just the chronological, I got picked up for orders and I went to Fort Benning for training. Like, I don't think anyone would go to page two. After no. that, right? <laughs> um. Yeah, so we got the training, book opens, a little bit different than the movie, but you're getting the same effect, right? It's I like the way that the movie 
opened because it gives you a little bit of context for people that aren't aware of really how we got into Vietnam and why. Not that it gives you a lot of detail and clarity, but it's some insight. But also, they were able to fit in a scene from the book later where he's researching what's happening there. Mm -hmm. So he starts to talk about in the book, uh, General Moore that is, or Colonel Moore. We're just going to call him Hal from now on. So Hal. Uh, He has a lot of facts. He is a, I think he's a West Point and a Harvard grad. Like, he's a smart fucking dude. Mm -hmm. So he goes into a lot of information about how he's prepping for this campaign. Um, And it's a lot of information about the French, about the the plantations, about the, how the Vietnamese, them between the North Vietnamese, South Vietnamese, the Viet Cong, the guerrillas, the um, villagers, because it's not just the Vietnamese. It is like a whole slew of different groups of people that make up these countries and this area. And he and the French involved, and he's going through a lot of detail with that. Uh, so I like how in the movie we get all of that summed up into like not a pretty or nice or clean scene, but like a tight little scene. Mm-hmm. All of his research that he did. So yeah, I thought I liked it. I don't know. What do you think, Jackie? I think they went back to the massacre picture a little too much. Mm-hmm. As like, okay, there's foreshadowing, and then there's beating me over the head with the book. Oh yeah, when he's sitting in his office. Yeah, because he he just keeps looking at it, and it keeps popping up, and then he's trying to cover it when his wife comes in, but then the paper moves or whatever. I don't know. Yeah. But like I, I yeah, think that's that I didn't really yeah. notice that. I did. Okay, Jackie's she doesn't like it. She doesn't like the gore, and I'm like, get it to me. <laughs> I mean, no, I, okay, I can, I yeah, that. yeah, I understand. It was a massacre, and they don't really touch on it too much in the book, but in the movie, yeah, that was that picture come to life, and it was awful. It was really awful. Yeah, you know what? I think you're right about the foreshadowing where it's like this. They wanted the audience to get a good feel for like, this is what we're entering into. You know, this yeah. isn't just a little skirmish. This is yeah. a, a, a military force that is, you know. Well, because one of the big shocks that they had when they finally did get in contact at Iodrang was that uh, it was guys in khaki and not the mm-hmm. black pajamas they kept calling them. So it wasn't guerrillas. It was regular army. It was a highly mm-hmm. trained, disciplined organization. I think they were saying this was the first time the Americans were came into combat or contact with a division le- or battalion level uh, military force. No, I think it was a brigade. Brigade, yeah. You're absolutely mm-hmm. right. It was a brigade. Um, so, what our, so the significance of this... And, Sorry to sound like history teachers, but the significance of this is the Americans thought, oh, we're dealing with just like little insurgent groups, right? Like what we would consider like terrorist cells or something. Like they thought they're going in, they're they're underarmed, they're um, they're not very organized. I don't think they were expecting to go in and get a brigade level assault mm-hmm. on them. So that that's why it's significant. And by brigade, we're talking a couple thousand yeah uh, just for those of you who don't know for the military you start smallest unit is going to be a team there might be two teams in a squad there are going to be like four squads in a platoon 
There might be three, four, five platoons in a company. There might be three, four, five companies in a battalion and so on and so forth. So you're, you're talking, if you're talking a brigade, it's a lot of people. Yeah. And there were at least three unit designators that he talked about as far as the North Vietnamese were concerned. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, there's a lot. So that's just overwhelming. Mm-hmm. Um, but let's so talking about soldiers and strength. Something that I think in the movie, and I, I, I can understand they did this for the sake of time, is there's a huge thing that happened when we entered into the Vietnam conflict, I think is what they were calling it, right? It, it wasn't, because when you designate something a war as a war here in the country, there's a lot of other um, things that happen in reaction to that, right? So there's this little scene where they're having a party after they're like, uh, yeah, that's it. We're we're going over there. We're getting ready. Mm-hmm. We're doing it. So they're having a party. And Hal is talking to one of his superiors. And he's like, well, I, I heard that the president didn't say we had a, a state of emergency or, or something. Yeah. Yeah. Because that... If they, if the president had declared a state of emergency, it would have kept all the draftees or it would have done a stop, loss, stop move. So wherever you were in the yeah. army, even if you were supposed to get out tomorrow, you would have been stuck. Which um, we've experienced that. Yeah. <laughs> so we know. Yeah. And why I bring this up and why it's so important. And I think they could have talked a little bit more about it in the movie. Maybe, maybe, maybe it doesn't add anything to it. But just for an understanding of, because the president didn't declare a state of emergency, they lost a big group of their soldiers, their troopers, mm-hmm. that they had been training with for months. I think we're talking yep. like 18 months they've been training this air cap. These new yep. techniques hadn't been done in the U.S. military before, in the Army, brand new. They're training these soldiers how to do this. And then because it wasn't declared... They didn't get their orders extended. They were out. They're like, okay, bye. Mm-hmm. It's not like now... Uh, well, actually, I think now in the military, it's getting back to a place where if the military doesn't have a need for you, you don't get to stay. They're actually You're trying to find reasons to kick people out now. Yeah. yeah. Where we were getting comfortable when Jackie and I were in... And I don't mean we, specifically us, but military, and because they they were always in a, a state a status of surging. So mm-hmm. you got to stay in almost as long as you want. A lot of people are retiring from it. But back then, it's like, all right, okay, bye. So they lost a big chunk. And he goes into specifics in the book about the numbers that they lost due to this. But what happens is his superior sends him, and he makes a comment about this, like, oh, that's why I got all those new squad leaders, these lieutenants, very, very young green officers. Uh, Sam Elliott's character, or Sam Elliott playing Sergeant Major Plumley also makes a comment about this in the movies like we got all these new green officers we're gonna have to train them up this is significant because they really only had like a eight weeks or something before they had to ship out to now train all these brand new officers a lot of them got waivers like they didn't have to go to their mandatory training to be mm-hmm. leaders like platoon leaders team leaders squad like they're just like, hey, you're from ROTC? Oh, you just graduated college? Oh, you just came from West Point? Cool. You are now responsible for all these hundred other men's lives. Mm-hmm. That's the significance. So that's why we have, like, the Motard Lieutenant Butterbar that we were talking about. 
the um, Lieutenant Gagan, I think that's how you say his name, where these, they're, they really are so green and they're getting sent into a situation where it's not ideal for them. They should have had more time or they should have been under other officers and senior enlisted that are experienced to mm-hmm. lead them. So they make well, that little comment in the movie like, eh. Yeah, and, and to kind of tie it to something more uh, contemporary, I mean, we had people that had never deployed before, maybe just got their sergeant stripes. They were going over to Afghanistan, like, I'm going to find Osama bin Laden. I'm like, oh, okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> and they're, they're really hard charging. And then they say the wrong thing to a detainee and end up getting kicked out of the interrogation room. And like, you don't need yeah. to come back here. Ever again. There's nothing wrong with motivation, but you also need experience and composure and um, some other things that you get from over yeah. time, which a lot of these officers did not have. So they lost all these soldiers. They get these baby soldiers. They start training them up, and then they get shipped out. Something to understand from the book to the movie, I think if you come from a military background and have deployed and understand how this process works... In the movie, it makes it seem like they leave, they get on the buses, and then they're in Vietnam. And then they're nope. getting airlifted into the Idrain Valley. No, it's months. I think they leave, they ship out probably August time frame, I think it's what Yeah, they, they shipped out of Charleston, took a boat, went through the yeah. Panama Canal. I think boat. they had... They had some resupply stop on the coast of California, California. somewhere, and then they yep. went over to Vietnam. Yeah, it's about a month or so before they're mm-hmm. actually in Vietnam. And then when they're in Vietnam, they're being like pushed around like any other normal army unit. They're like, oh, go do this, go do that. Oh, just sit around and wait. That's yeah. what's happening. So the beginning of the book can be a little boring. Um, I think if you don't have a military background or if you're not like a military enthusiast, you might get lost in the sauce mm-hmm. with the first several chapters. Just a lot of slang and language that they use, military stuff and what's happening. You might get lost. Not saying it's bad, though. Which, for me, the over-explaining, that's what it seemed like to me. Because I understand the jargon. I know what the rank abbreviations mean. Like, you don't need to tell me. I you know. You don't need to spell it like, out every time. To... Yeah, it's because it... Yeah. The widest audience it probably knows a lot of people aren't. Um, but then also, there, I'm not going to lie, there's some area... This is so stupid, too. And I'm totally... This is just me. There's some things that he was explaining. I'm like, I don't need you to mansplain this to me, <laughs> General Moore. <laughs> well, every time they talk about white phosphorus, he said Willie Peter. I'm like, no, it's Willie Pete. Just mm-hmm. Willie Pete. Mm-hmm. But then again, you know, this is Vietnam. They do it every yeah. Whatever. Yeah. So it's a while before. So from August to November, I think it's November 14th is when they yeah. land in the valley. So yes. th- August, September, October, no, you're months, right? Yeah. So it's a while. They get there and then they land. Something I want to talk about in the, in the beginning. Um, did you catch it in one of the chapters? You know, how there's a quote at each of the star of the chapters. There's a quote by Stephen Crane. Yeah, I saw that. And who is Stephen Crane? He wrote The Red Badge of Courage, which we started which off we our did. military month. Yeah. Yay. Yeah, so there's a there's a 
quote that he does by him, which is actually, I was like, oh, look at that. Wait, I think I have it here. Not that anyone actually cares, but I thought it was cool. Anyway, so they go ahead and now they're, they're being dropped in. Something that is a big departure from the movie to, or from the book to the movie, I should say, is the introduction of Joe Galloway. Mm-hmm. Joe Galloway actually came into contact with the first Dallion 7th Cab um, at the beginning when they landed. He did some marches with them. He got acquainted with uh, Colonel Moore and Sergeant Major Plumley and the guys. Um, it's when they got airlifted into the valley that that scene where he's trying to get on the helicopter to go out. That does kind of happen. It just happens a little differently where it's like, hey, this is crazy what's going on we really don't want to drop civilians in here so he's like trying to sneak on yeah and and it was uh crandall who asked him in the movie uh if you're crazy and or said to him if you're crazy enough you can come with us but it was crandall asking how more hey is it okay if we bring him out and how more said yeah if he's crazy enough he can come out here but what what i thought was interesting was that he gets handed it an M16 while they're in contact at Yadring. When he yeah. already brought that with him, he had gotten that M16. Yeah. He had acquired it while he was at the Special Forces compound when it was under attack. And Play May? Play? I don't know. Play May, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Play May, yeah. Yeah. So he, he'd already been out there and he'd already uh, actively participated in combat. Yeah. So I get it for the movie. They wanted to show like the non combatant and how that sort of blurred the lines over there and all that stuff. It was moderately disingenuous though, because at the end, after the battle's over, he just throws the M sixteen down or I think it's after he um he after uh, that surge. Yeah. Uh Jimmy I I don't yeah. Jimmy Yuck Yuck um Mana, I, I, I'm I a horrible person. Nakayama, some of that. Nakayama? Yeah. But, yeah, after he puts him in the helicopter, he throws the M16 down, but I don't remember that happening. No. From it, reading it, the book. It doesn't, really. So, the involvement of Joe Galloway, it, it's like, it's accurate, but it's also a bit Hollywood, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Because I think if they would have actually kept it true to the accounts of the time, people probably would have been like, that's impossible. <laughs> so the Hollywood want to introduce illegal. <laughs> yeah. So I think Hollywood <laughs> wants to introduce it in a way that is a bit more palatable for the general yeah. audience. So I, yeah. I don't give it any grief for that, but that is yeah. different. Um, okay. So now they are there. They have landed. It's a, it's a big deal because the way that the helicopters are bringing them in creates sort of this obstacle for them where it can only hold so many soldiers landing, right? Mm -hmm. So when they drop, there's a good 30 minutes or so where these several dozen men are on their own, out in the middle of nowhere, having to out in the open, having to defend themselves against unknown forces, unknown numbers. They don't know what's going on over there. So they, I think, in the movie and the book, they describe the same way where they land and the goal is to set up a perimeter. So really what they're supposed to do is they're supposed to land, they run out, they create sort of a circle slash perimeter slash, you know, outline of their controlled space and, and just waiting. They're supposed to be waiting for the rest of their units to land. But they do find a, um, I don't know 
if he was a defector. Like, they're still unsure about what this kid's deal was. But they found a Vietnamese soldier, like, hiding in the bushes. And I think he... Somebody confused him for a child. And they're like, he's mm-hmm. not a kid. Like, oh, fuck him. They, he's, now he's an enemy prisoner. When they're going out to set up... Start setting up this perimeter, the company or platoon with Lieutenant Herrick, that's our motard. I'm just going to call him motard. I don't care. <laughs> he sees another... Vietnamese soldier. He's like, it's a scout. Let's get him. Let's take him prisoner. And starts running. So now he has disobeyed direct orders, which was to go here and set up a perimeter and set up a watch. And he's like, I'm motivated. I'm fucking motarded. Let's Mm -hmm. go. So his unit behind him is like, well, shit. You know, his platoon's like, uh, I guess we gotta go with them. But they already know, like, Sergeant Savage from the book, this is his direct quote, is like, we all knew it was a bad, bad idea. We knew this Mm -hmm. was not a good decision. And then you get that on their faces in the movie where it's like, no, this is not, mm mm-mm. So they're running after this soldier, the Vietnamese soldier, and it, they get sucked into a trap. And then they're surrounded. And they're cut off. From the rest of the other troopers that they landed with. So now when they should have just had a full perimeter of this location to wait for their full forces to land, they're split up, they're under undermanned because they're missing a whole platoon. Yeah. Um, totally isolated, cut off from everybody, yeah. that platoon. And exactly. And Hal is like, fuck, I need to get my people. <laughs> like we can't leave him out there because it's it's his responsibility as commander. He is responsible for the lives of these men. So he's like, oh, well, we're, we don't have all of our people here yet, but we got to get them. We can't let them, you know, just get massacred out there. So now we're, we're getting split even more. Mm-hmm. And that is why I say that is the domino effect of where this was going to be shitty to begin with. But because of this, I think it was exponentially more shitty. Yeah. And how this played out, this battle. And- not to mention that they're only carrying what they thought they needed for a couple days, maybe, yep. if that. And that's ammo, food, water, all that other stuff. Actually, I don't even think they were, what they were carrying was for a few days. I think they were carrying just for, like, the night. Because yeah. after all the soldiers were supposed to drop, that's when the aircraft was going to come in with supplies. Mm-hmm. So they shit started hitting the fan before they could fully get set up and established. Yeah. Like their command post, they had a, a makeshift um, command post behind a termite mound. Yeah. Can you imagine being stuck in a jungle in a place like that with just two canteens? That's it. Yeah. And only the ammo that you could carry. Mm-hmm. Um, and even just the supplies. Like, And I think there's only a couple medics that landed with them. When, with the first round, or maybe one or two, I think, because they were so yeah. understaffed to begin with. Yeah, and there were a lot that they just said, hey, you're the medic now because you have experience, mm-hmm. so enjoy. Yeah. And then the surgeons, the command surgeons, they hadn't even landed yet mm-hmm. when this all started going down. So people mm-hmm. are getting hit, and all they have are their medics, which are like maybe a 19-year-old kid that went to combat lifesavers school. Yeah. All right. Mm-hmm. So now we have the Motard Lost Company out by themselves, which Lieutenant Herrick, who is the Motard, he is shot and killed. Um, it makes it seem like Lieutenant Herrick 
slash Motard gets killed, and then all of a sudden Savage is now in control. But really what's happening is there's a whole section of people that die to get to where Savage is now in... Yeah, because he's the platoon uh, leader. You still have the platoon sergeant. You have other squad leaders Mm -hmm. that outrank Savage, so... I believe there's two officers and two senior enlisted that are killed um, before we get to Sergeant Savage being responsible for the rest of these men. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there, I believe there were seven that, that were killed in that comp- or that platoon when they got out there. Thirteen or so were wounded, and then the rest of them were unharmed. But they're now they have they're huddled together in the in the middle of this jungle where you have your dead, you're wounded, and you're not harmed they're all just trying to now send for their lives and they do this mm-hmm. over i think it's about 30 something hours <clears throat> yes they go through that night into the next day and it's not until like later that afternoon that they're finally able to get to them yeah and the amount of people that die just trying to get to them is also double digits mm-hmm. that's why i say fucking motard if he would have just did what he was supposed to do i don't think you'd have all those people that died. I mean, still yeah. people are going to die, but not yeah. like that. But don't, don't chase glory. I mean, seriously, if it's meant to find you, it's going to find you. Don't go running after it and put like 40, 50, 60 men's lives at risk. And nobody in the book really says anything bad about him. I think it's just all understood that it was really shitty, but mm-hmm. at this point you don't need to speak ill of the dead. Mm-hmm. Um, and also in the movie, they're pretty light on what they say about him. There's a little training montage where Sergeant Major Plumlee makes a comment about how that one wants to win medals. Mm-hmm. Or actually in the book, the comment that Sergeant Major Plumlee made to Hal was that if you put him in charge, he's going to get men killed. Yeah. And he was absolutely right. Yep. Um, so this is like the meat of it. The majority of the book is this three-day... Hellfest in the middle of this clearing in the middle of a jungle at the base of a mountain because the Vietnamese uh, battalion, I believe, or brigade is in their headquarters or in that mountain. Like in the mountain, dug in, tunnels, yeah, everything. So they just don't get a fucking minute. It is mm-hmm. like, and then when it is quiet, it reminds me of, you know, for mothers or parents out there where you have toddlers and you just it's cacophony all fucking day and then the minute it's quiet you're like what the fuck what's wrong yeah. that yeah. is what hal is experienced where it's chaos it's just fucking so crazy where when it's quiet i, I think he's more nervous mhm well and rightly crazy, so yeah yeah rightly so because at night when uh they did the illumination flares and mm-hmm. it would just Light would suddenly appear and you would just see the enemy forces just creeping along in the woods, coming up to the guys and like, oh, fuck. Like, I just, I I don't know how they did it. I really don't. So I don't really think we need to go into all the details of what happened. I think you can watch the movie or read the book and get it. And you're going to get it from both. What I want to talk about now is closing out this battle. In the book, we we get to close it out first, and then we go talk about the wives. In the movie, it's sort of happening simultaneously. 
Because every time they come into contact, Hal is like, I need accountability. Because his thing is, I am not leaving here without every single man dead or alive. Nobody's going to be missing in action. Everyone's coming home. Mm-hmm. And it's a big deal. And, and he, he talks about it in the book a lot. All the other soldiers talk about it. They make a big deal in the movie. There's that scene where he goes out to, because they have two unaccounted for. He goes out to find that it is um, Lieutenant Gagan and uh, Godbolt, the soldier. Mm-hmm. I think he's like a PFC or something. Um, and they carry them back. When they're sending the notifications and accountability back to command, so the command that's not, I think it's, it gets relayed back to Saigon, then the army is, once they get confirmation, they're then telegramming back home to the families. The big deal in this story, both in the book and the movie, because this is accurate, is that the army thought, or the or the Pentagon, I should say, it's not just the army, the, the military, the war... They thought that they could send over some smaller units, take care of this, and that would be it. Nobody thought we were going into a full-fledged war or battles and battles of combat. So because of this, the War Department was not set up to be able to send out proper notifications of death to to the service uh, members' families. And so their workaround for this to send out timely notifications was to send telegrams, and the people that would deliver these telegrams were cab drivers. In the movie, they they do it sort of simultaneously, where death is happening in Vietnam, then we get introduced to the way the cab drivers are doing it at home, and then Julie Moore, um, his wife, then takes over as, like, we can't be sending cab drivers to these families' homes to tell them that their husband, father, son, whoever, died. Like, we can't do that. So she's like, I'll do it. Now, in the book, right, Jackie? So she she does do this where finally she's like, no, no, no. I'm going to be there. But I believe she follows the cabs to the houses. Or when she gets notified that um, a family gets notified, she goes immediately over there. Where in the movie it makes it seem like she's like, I'll do the notification. Well, also in the book, it made it seem like a lot of, uh, I don't know if it's all of the wives or just the officers' wives or stuff like that, but it made it seem like a lot of them packed up and moved off post, went back home to their families, so the telegrams were being delivered to them. Yeah. At at their home location, so like parents, I know that um, Lieutenant uh, Gagan's parents were notified before his wife... Yeah. And it's because the guy that delivered the message knew the family, knew that he was their only son, and he felt that they needed to know before anybody else. Yeah, I think it, there's a whole different bunch of different ways that it was happening because not all the wives were on Fort Benning. Some of them did go home to live closer to the family, which makes sense. I mean, mm-hmm. if your husband and provider is leaving you, like, why are you going to stay there by yourself? You, you Especially if you have young kids, you'd mm-hmm. rather go live near your family, right? Or yeah. something. Something more familiar than a base that you've never been at before. Um, that makes sense. In the movie, it makes it seem like they're all, like, tight it there. Which is probably the... It was probably the case at some point. But then once they finally left, you know, people started dispersing. So mm-hmm. there were families still at Fort Benning or the surrounding areas that his wife... She made a point to go to all those funerals. Um... And, and talk with the other families when she was uh, got notification that they 
received. Well, and they did address it in the movie as well, but in the book, uh, there was an excerpt that talked about how she was afraid that the other wives would hate her because it was her husband that was leading them. But in both cases, it was, it's not, (laughs) your, your husband didn't start this war. Yeah. Your husband's doing his best, so. Yeah. I think I prefer it. Okay. I should say preferred because this is real life, right? I don't want to say like they should have done this the way they did in the movie. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is the way that they showed it definitely pulls more heartstrings in the movie, if that makes sense. Um, the scenes of them going to the door, you know, talking to wives, getting the notifications, like I, I get it. And it, it saved a lot of time. It consolidated this whole storyline of how this happened in the movie. Um, so I, I think they did a nice job of it. And they, they gave it, I think, enough, the credit it deserved, where they could have easily just cut that part out and just focused on the battles. But Mel Gibson and the production made a point to say, we are going to show the stories. Or what did that one where you say? All that huggy, huggy, kissy, kissy mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah. <laughs> the family so I, stuff. I like that they, yeah, that family bullshit, because... You know, we're sending robots off to war, not human beings. Yep. So I, I liked it. Um, but when we get to that part in the book, that is the end. Um, there is a big chunk of this book that we're actually not talking about because the movie doesn't talk about it. Where when the 1st uh, Battalion, 7th Cav, leaves, and there's that big scene where he's the last one off the field, which he was... He brought all his people home and he made sure all of his people were out before he got on the helicopter with Major Crandall to leave that valley. But they don't talk about how there's another unit that comes in to replace them. They're not done in this valley yet, but they know that this, uh, his group of men needs to come back and get some rest before they send them out somewhere else. So in the movie, it makes it seem like, oh, we did our thing. We're done here. We won. Then there's like the scene with the... Vietnamese commander, blah, 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 picking up their bodies, their uh, men that they lost. So the other part of this book, and I would say it's probably like a eighth or something of it. There's a couple chapters where it talks about the landing zone, Albany, which is the second, right? Second battalion? I think so, yeah. Uh, seven, yeah, second battalion, seventh cab um, that goes in and it goes through all there. I'm not going to lie. I'm going to be completely honest and transparent. I skimmed through it since I watched the movie first. And I was like, this has nothing to do with what the movie was. So I was like, skim, 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 hundred pages later. Okay, good. That was essentially an ambush though, because they decided to march out of LZ X-Ray to LZ Albany and they were ambushed by the Vietnamese. Yeah. Because they're like, well, we don't need to do this helicopter thing anymore. Mm-hmm. And it's like, uh, I think we should have. But there um, there we are. One mm-hmm. last note I'm going to make on this is I really enjoyed the book and the movie. Because even though a lot of these reviews were like, oh, this is American propaganda bullshit or whatever. No, the book and the movie make a point to show and humanize the Vietnamese. Yeah. Yes, we're fighting them and that's our, our cause and we're trying to survive. But the book... A lot of respect to the commander. Um, There's actually interviews with him. His perspective is littered throughout the book, the Vietnamese commander. And they talk about him in high esteem. Like, Halmore doesn't have anything bad to say about him. Yeah, they they met later on. 
some of the pictures are the two of them together in like I think 1991 was one of the years that they met again. Yeah, I think it was yeah. like right when he was putting the book together. There's pictures of them being interviewed. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think the people that thought this was propaganda bullshit really didn't actually watch the movie or read the book mm-hmm. because it they made a point to show respect to these that our enemy, but also ident- you know acknowledging that these are other human beings that have families mm-hmm. and lives too, and they're trying to do the best to fight for their cause. Yeah. Um, so, I I respect that and I like that. Me too. All right. Let's go ahead and wrap this up. Let's talk about our reviews. I'll go ahead and kick it off. I finished the book and in Goodreads I went and marked it as complete and then the first time ever I went ahead and hit a no rating because my rating scale is like if it's a one means I fucking need to DNF this. I can't stand it. I have so many issues with whatever about it. And five is my like, I'll read this over and over and over again. I love it. I've skipped into it. This book is, is neither of those and nowhere in between. I think the book is what it is. It gives you an accurate, almost minute-to-minute account, first-hand perspectives of this battle and this war and what they're going through. And I don't really feel I'm in the place to make an, an opinion or a judgment on that. It's it's a nonfiction book. I think it, it reads better than a textbook. It's not like that. But it also doesn't read like um, Unbroken from last week where... Eh, there wasn't a lot of storytelling that was going into it because honestly, there just wasn't room for it. These mm-hmm. are the men that lived through it and they're giving you their accounts of how it happened and it's in a chronological order in a way you can comprehend it for someone that has never been in combat. So the book is what it is. The movie though, I love this movie. I'll give it 10 out of 10. Love it. I think it's one of my... I wouldn't say guilty pleasures because I don't feel guilty watching it, but like I'll just put it on and be jamming to it when I'm in a mood. So, love it. Ten out of ten. I appreciate that. Thank you. Because this this showed the personal aspect of it, but didn't do a Pearl Harbor and inject some random fictitious love story in there just to appeal to certain audiences. Yeah. Yeah. This book didn't need a trope. We're good. Yeah. Uh, for the book, I'm going to agree with Mel. I mean, I never do ratings on Goodreads, really. Um, but I don't think that this is the type of book that warrants a rating. I think if you need good source material for something, this is a good reference for what happened. Oh, that's if, a good point. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think this is a phenomenal reference. Um, just make sure you use the right annotation format. Um, yeah. Yeah. Is this considered a primary source then? I think so. I mean, parts of it at least. His own, or their own, his and Joe Galloway's direct yeah. dialogue. And it's quoting people that were there. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think I'm going to go with yeah. that. Okay. <laughs> Movie, okay, I'm bre- breaking from Mel. I'm going to say a 9 out of 10. And while I do Blasphemy. appreciate your your description or your view on the notifications, I think it does a disservice to what the families actually went through. Especially when they talked about the one cab driver showing, like, shit-faced oh, yeah. drunk at somebody's house and falling into a bush when he's supposed and to be... passing out. 
delivering a death notice to a family member. Mm. Um, I think that that type of experience is probably awful to begin with. I mean, you've seen the World War II movies where you see the chaplain and the officer walk mm-hmm. up to the house in uniform. And uh, was it? Yeah, it was Saving Private Ryan where the mother... Yeah, the, the reason why they go to find him in the first place. The mother falls yeah. down on the porch. Yeah. I mean, I think that is an extremely difficult time for our family to go through. And anytime I drive by a house and they have a flag with gold stars hanging the window in the window, my heart goes out to them. Um, and the other thing, and this is on a slightly lighter note, but the Joe Galloway picture-taking montage after he throws down the M16, I... I didn't like it. So I agree with you. And I actually, maybe my brain just blocks it out. Because when I read your, I was like, oh yeah, that does happen. That is stupid. I hate it. Still 10 out of 10. (laughs) I did not like that part. I thought it served no purpose for the actual events. I think they're just trying to make the reporter relevant in the movie. I think they're (laughs) trying to turn him into an anti-war, like, hippie. I, I don't know. I don't know. But I will say this, though. When I see descriptions of war movies and they call it an anti-war movie, my initial thing, and this is my soapbox. Let me just, I haven't pulled out a soapbox yet, so let me just get it out. Okay. I think okay. any war movie is an anti-war movie. What about these movies makes it like, war is great? I have, I have Nothing. not seen one. No. Even... Even the ridiculous war movies, like the sci-fi ones, where I, Steve and I watched this one where it was like they were doing these experiments, and Nazis were, and there was like zombies. Like it's a World War II movie, but it's with zombies. Even then, still not a yeah. pro-war movie. Yeah. <laughs> still anti-war movie. Yeah. <laughs> so I think it's all anti-war. I don't, you don't need to do anything else extra to make it anti-war. Just I showing mean, what happens is enough. You could you could even say that Captain America is an anti-war movie. Any any movie that yeah. is depicting anything of a war, even fucking Troy, those mm-hmm. battles, anti-war, anti-war, yeah. Braveheart, anti-war. Yeah, it has nothing to do. With it's it. also anti-oppression, but whatever. It's anti a lot of things, but definitely fuck the English. nothing about it. Yeah, like we're. War may, may be the, you know, ends justify the means type deal, but still anti-war. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, <laughs> sorry, soapbox away. Okay. Yeah. That that was really all I had to say about the movie. Like I said, a 9 out of 10, if it weren't for the Joe Galloway picture-taking montage. Wow, that and the change that for you. <laughs> and the change a in the, uh, point. <laughs> the notifications. Yeah. Well, I mean, everything else is just so overwhelmingly well done. Yeah. I, I, I still agree. think that the, when he's putting uh, Jimmy on the plane, or when they go oh, to pick him up, uh, uh, I can't. And how many times I've seen this movie now, when I, that scene comes up, mm-hmm. and Steven made a comment, too, where I like had a visceral reaction. It was just physical. Like, yeah. Steven's like, you knew this was coming. Yeah. You've seen it. You've mm-hmm. now read it. You know. And I'm like, it's still awful. Yeah. And it makes it even more awful to know that this actually happened to an actual human being. It was friendly fire. And this is why we do not allow napalm anymore. 
And I don't even think that movies like this do justice to what napalm can do to a person. Yeah. But there's even a part in the book um, where they're talking about how... Oh, it's when the Lost Company makes it back. You mm-hmm. know, they get, they get rescued and they're back at the command post. And they're talking about how filthy they are. Yeah. When I first watched the movie, before I read it, and they come up... When the other company comes up on them to rescue them, and and they're like, hey, are, are, you, are you guys... And they start to, like, raise their hands a little bit, but they're covered in mm-hmm. all this stuff... I thought it was them trying to camouflage themselves. It just made yeah. the most sense to me. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, they were just trying to keep a low profile. Where when I read the book, it's because, no, they are covered in so much filth because of the shooting, the fighting, the artillery, the bombs, the air assault. Like, everything that's been kicked up and with all the blood is just sticking to them. And when they get back, there's a comment where they said... The level of filth on them, you can't even describe it, and Hollywood can't do it justice. Mm-hmm. Because that's the only way you can get that filthy is to actually live through what they went through. Yeah. And then also they're talking about how they were so shell-shocked at that point, after a day, you know, where they know it's their own people mm-hmm. coming to rescue them, but they're so afraid to even give away their spot to their yeah. own people. Yeah. Like, just how traumatizing that is. And then also Jimmy that we were talking about, he's the napalm victim in the book. Um, and in the movie he says, like, oh, my baby was born today. I thought that was just like another heart string thing. No. His wife actually gave birth the day that he died. Mm-hmm. Which I hate. I hate it. Mm-hmm. <sighs> and that's just one of the little anecdotes throughout this book where you're like, no fucking way. No way. All right. Let's go ahead and wrap this up. We read, we watched, so you don't have to DNF. And I'm going to say watch it. I think this movie did a really good job. Yeah, same. Of trying to get across what they wanted. And and the survivors of this also support it. They like the movie. Yeah. They lived it, and they think the movie's good, so. Yeah, and like I said before with my review with the book, if, if you need a reference, that is a good place to go. For what happened during that battle, or for the lives of some of these guys involved, which, uh, FYI, we have three Medal of Honor recipients in this battle. Yes. Um, but you can you can get what happened out of watching the movie. Yeah, the movie does a really good job of showing you and letting you feel the essence of this, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I'll agree with Jackie. This book is a great reference, and I would... I'm not saying don't read it, but I also don't think you can come at this book and read it like you would read a normal book. Definitely I think this not. is a book where you need to take your time if you really want to understand the ins and outs of this uh, battle mm-hmm. and these people. I think close reading. This requires close reading. Yeah. Mm. All right. There we go. Okay. We were soldiers. Yeah. Once and young. Next week... We are uh, getting a little closer to home because we're diving into the Gulf War with Jarhead. We were actually alive for that shit. We sure were. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we actually served with Gulf War vets. Mm-hmm. Um, my, uh, actually, my Sergeant Major was uh, part of Black Hawk Down. Oh, wow. So, yeah, 
So close ties here, we're getting close to home. Jarhead, it is a memoir written by a, I believe a Marine recon sniper. Um, yeah. And it's his tale. So autobiographical, it's a, it's a quick read too, it looks like. I mean, I haven't started yet. I'm gonna start it right after this, but it, it's short. So I, I got through about 30 pages in what seems like five minutes. Cool. Yeah. So there we go. There's there's big gaps in between paragraphs and the paragraphs are pretty short and they yeah. It's I'm interested to start reading this because Stephen uh Stephen my my boo, he is a Marine. Um apparently the Marine Corps has some feelings about this and Stephen said, Yeah, he's uh he's an asshole. So <laughs> Maybe we'll have Steven on our next episode so we he should. could give his opinions. We might have to another... we, we might have to kick him out if he's just be like, he's an asshole. He's a fucking asshole. Like, All right, enough, enough, Steven. We're talking <laughs> you have about the book guy. Anything else to say? Uh, yeah, he's an asshole. <laughs> Which, that is his opinion. It's not ours. We don't know. We haven't finished yet. We will give you that next week. So, until then, bye. Bye. bye.